Dr. Andrew Tisser is an emergency medicine physician and urgent care director practicing in Western New York. His passion is to help fellow early career physicians navigate the issues of money, mindset, and making moves, or goal setting. He hosts the Talk To Me Doc podcast and is the owner of Talk To Me Doc LLC, a consulting company working with early career physicians. His original podcast goal was to get different allied health professionals onto the show to discuss what they wanted physicians to know about their fields and what we could do to foster better communication. So on today's show, we discuss the takeaway from a few of his more memorable episodes covering the security personnel, nurses, physical therapists, lab technicians, pharmacists, and more. There were common themes throughout the interviews that we discussed. Now, he has since pivoted to focusing his podcast on issues relevant to early career physicians, and we discussed the reason behind the pivot. He can be found at Andrew Tisser, T-I-S-S-E-R-D-O.com. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. Andrew Tisser, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me. So let's get right into it and talk about what you've learned from your guests. So one of the more interesting guests I thought was your security guard. So what was the big take home that you learned from speaking to the security guard in the hospital? Sure. Uh, yeah, I've spoken to two, but I want to highlight Elijah Smith's episode. He is a very interesting character, but what, what I learned is that... Some of our security personnel are really underappreciated. And I know not having security at my current facility, I miss them so very much. But Elijah was a special guest because he forms deep connections with patients and staff. And very, very rarely does he need to use physical force. He thinks people, uh, I asked him, I said, you know, why, why do people want to hear from security? Because I, I polled my audience and they really wanted to hear from security. And he thought that um, all roles want their voices heard, but security really does not often have a voice. So uh, really, I learned just to, to take everyone, uh, take advantage of everyone you have there and really get to know all the resources you have because these security guys can turn a really bad situation into a, really a much better one. It makes sense because you'll have occasions, well, every day you're going to talk to the nurse, Right. Frequently, you'll talk to the physical therapist. Frequently, you'll talk to the social worker. But in order to get, like, I'm thinking like the job of an intern, right? In order to get your job done for the day, in order to tick off all the things on your list of things to do, at no point do you need to interact with the security guard. So you can just completely ignore them. And I'm sure that happens most of the time, which is why they feel like their voices are never heard. So it was great that you gave that you gave them a platform. And really, I, I would recommend it to everybody that you, that you listen to that episode because there really he really did have a lot to teach. And he really seems to enjoy his job, which doesn't always happen with the security staff, which actually doesn't happen with a lot of us. But um, 
but particularly security. So that, I thought that was a, that was a great platform, and I thought really agreed. There's there's a lot to be learned there. What about the the pharmacist, Greg Greg Miola? So what do the pharmacists want the physicians to know about their job and about communicating as a team? Yeah, I, I thought there's a lot of interesting things that uh, Greg Miola, our pharmacist, uh, introduced. He brought up the idea of hierarchical differences and generational differences in medicine. That when he started, he thought approaching older physicians was so difficult because they were, you know, they've been there forever and, and they know what's going on. But uh, he he stated that he learned that, in fact, that was just his own insecurity insecurities about approaching these guys and that he, older, younger, whatever physicians were always open to having a conversation. He also talked about using a non-confrontational approach because I said, you know, do you, do you ever get a lot of pushback from docs when you're trying to change some of their orders or something? But he comes at it with, uh, this is how we can improve different issues for the patient, which I thought was very interesting. And uh, he also said that he learns a lot from just watching how physicians interact with families because as a pharmacist, especially an emergency pharmacist, he doesn't do a lot of that. So I thought that was a really interesting approach that he had there. And uh, I mean, I... I haven't had a pharmacist in the emergency department since I was a resident, but man, did they save my butt a lot of times, let me tell you. So what were his recommendations in terms of improving communication between the, the pharmacist and the physician? Because a lot of times when we get something from the pharmacist, it's like a note in the chart or an alert when we try to order something. It's not often we have a dialogue. So what was his recommendation in order to improve that? Sure. Or he, was, uh, that even his, was that even his recommendation? Yeah, I mean, he he recommended use, utilizing them as a resource. And just even if you don't have a pharmacist sitting there with you, calling up and having a chat with a pharmacist, uh, you could really learn a lot. And I've, I've tried to do that ever since, calling up pharmacy and asking them for their advice on, on different antibiotics and different things. And they're always so willing to help and have a conversation with you. And it really has improved a lot of the, the way I treat patients and how I select my medications because they'll bring up an antibiotic I haven't even heard of since medical school. And uh, I'm like, oh, okay, well, how do you dose that? What is it for? And um, I really learn a lot from them. Yeah, I was on a, a different podcast recently where I was, it was about education. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they asked was, what do I think is an important trait in a physician? And I said, humility. And I think I think that's important when when reaching out to the uh, to the non physician health professionals at the hospital, right? Some people are just too they're 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 too proud to do it. And I think you know, especially if you're an intern, you're a resident, you want to look good. Mm. Like, man, pick their brains because they just have such a huge fund of knowledge, and and they're and they want to help, right? They're we're all on the same team. We're all just trying to help the patients. So they're 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 going to help to make you look good. And and for the attending physicians, right? Also, so just like you said, there are many times where they shaved your butt, so it always it always helps to to pick up the phone and and call them. But I wonder if there's a way, right, to integrate them more into our health delivery system. I wish there was. I mean, having I know at one of the hospitals I worked at as an attending, we had like a few hours a day where we had a pharmacist in the emergency department, and their job was just to do medicine reconciliations for admitted patients. But man, I would just go over there and bug them all the time and ask them questions. And they loved it. I learned a lot. And it was it was so great just having them sitting there. So yeah, I agree. I mean, having them off at some other department, you know, on the third floor somewhere, not that accessible is you don't think of them that much. But uh, I, I wish there was a way to just really integrate them into the, the whole experience. Yeah. And then they don't have as much skin in the game because they're not, they're seeing the patients, right? They're so divorced 
from the patient's outcomes and the interactions that, you know, it, 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 it's not helpful for them. I think it would help them be more fulfilled in their jobs if they were closer and part of the action. But you know what? Nobody's asking you and I how the hospital should run. <laughs> no, should be, they certainly There should are be not. a third voice on this, uh, on this call right now. Actually, no, just listening so we can tell them how to do it the right way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Then they'll know. Then they'll know. So what about laboratory services? So I thought that was an interesting interview as well. I think you referred to them as the, what, the vampires or something. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to think of uh, interesting yeah. little titles for your episodes, of course. Yes. Yes. It helps. Uh, search engine optimization. <laughs> I try. I struggle. I try to outsource that actually to my guests. I said, do you have any, do you have any ideas? And sometimes they're just like, no. Okay. Okay. Fine. 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 You've given me enough of your time, but sometimes they come up with some interesting ones that are, that are, that are helpful. So laboratory services, what was their recommendation to improve communication with physicians? Yeah. So Emily Yates, um, so she's a lab supervisor actually, and uh, that was a great conversation. And, And she really brought up that a lot of people don't understand all the different things that the lab does. Uh, that oftentimes the only time physicians or nurses are calling them or, or to yell at them for like, where's my CBC or, uh, you know, what are the delays? And, and uh, she, she really Where's wanted- my coronavirus test? Right. Uh, come on. That's what they're been- getting that a lot now, huh? Oh, my God. Yeah. I was like, can you put a rush on it? And like, we're rushing all of them. They're all rushed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she she really brought that up, and and she also discussed how burnout is a big issue for lab personnel, which I never I never would have thought of. You know, you, you think about docs and nurses and and direct clinicians facing burnout issues, but uh, she brought it up for lab personnel and how she's having a hard time filling positions because there aren't a lot of of lab workers out there right now, and she feels that maybe due to. Uh, she called the silo effect where they're just sitting in the lab running tests and they're, they're not actually involved with the team. So like we talked about with, with pharmacy, I think uh, if we could integrate lab into some more patient care areas, uh, again, I had one hospital where there was ER lab and they just sat there and you can ask them a question or do we run this lab or is this a send out or, and they were also always happy to help, but you don't think often to call the lab and ask them a question. But again, these little things, especially if you just call them to ask them a question, maybe, you're, maybe you know the answer. Maybe you just want to get them on the phone. It really helps build relationships with some of the other departments. And, and that helps you down the line too when you're in a bind. Oh yeah. Then they're more likely to notice, oh, you know what? This is a patient at Dr. Tisser. That was the guy that called me up and was really nice to me on the phone. Mm-hmm. So you know what? I'm going to call him now instead of just putting an alert in the chart because I think there's something that he might want to take a look at. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, As geez. opposed to, oh, there was that doctor that yelled at me. You know what? I'm just going to put an alert in the chart and uh, now I've done my job. I've done my part. Yeah, she brought up a, like that again. same thing, you know, that she there's so there's one doctor that no one will call because they're all afraid of him. And you know, whereas if if there's some issue or you know, sometimes we put in the wrong order or it doesn't make sense. And if it doesn't make sense and then they call us and maybe we can change that ahead of time. So it, it was really really interesting conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the burnout thing, it doesn't it of course it's happening to other people. You know, like physicians, yeah, physician burnout's a big deal and and it does influence patient outcomes and it certainly influences us, but it's not like it's not happening to other people. I I, I heard on what this one podcast about about physician burnout, the doctor was like, yeah, I wake, I, I come back from work at the end of the day and I've given so much to my patients, like I have nothing left to give to my family. And, and all I was thinking was, yeah, 
What about everyone else who works a really hard freaking day and gets <laughs> home and they just have to flop down on the couch because they don't have anything to give up to them? Yes, that happens to anybody who works really hard. It's like American exceptionalism. It's like physician exceptionalism. We're we're not the only ones that are that are, that this is happening to. I, I had yeah. an interview a while ago with uh, Sanj Katyal, who's a radiologist, and he studies positive psychology. And what we were talking about how this affects radiologists, because kind of like with the pharmacist, they're so divorced from patient care that they, you know, they're just like reading scan, reading scan, reading scan, reading scan, reading scan, yeah. and then break for lunch, reading scan, reading scan, but they don't see the outcomes for the patients. They very, you know, they don't often get on the phone with physicians, but like some, you know, giving them some type of human interaction in there where they know what's going a little more about the patient. They get to actually verbally help their, their fellow physician, things like that really help their mental health. And it's just, that's, you know, that's everybody. So I think, I think it's important for us to realize that, that when we're, when we're calling up our, our colleagues to, to realize that involving them helps them to, to, you know, helps us help them and also (laughs) helps bring them back into the loop so that they realize again, that they're actually helping real people on the other side. Yeah. I mean, you know how often uh, you can really make someone's day by calling them up and asking them a question. I mean, everybody is an expert at their own field. And that's, that's a global lesson that I've learned from interviewing all these different people is that everyone wants to feel like the expert. And a laboratory service person is an expert at laboratory services way more than we are. And that's for sure. So if you can get them to talk about what they know and what they do, then that, that'll make their day and that'll make everybody's life better. Yeah. It's, I'm sure there's some Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people principle in there somewhere. <laughs> Great book. Uh, yeah. And make sure you say their name because that's definitely in that book. <laughs> yes, it Use is. Use their name and say their name a couple of times, Dr. Andrew Tisser. Yes, Brad. <laughs> so what about the physical therapist, Lindsay Bilson? She's uh, clearly from that interview. She's an old friend of yours. What, what did the phys- physical therapist have to say about uh, how to improve communication with the physicians? Yeah, so Lindsay, yes, Lindsay is a good friend of mine and she works outpatient physical therapy, but she brought up the issue that oftentimes she gets patients after they've seen multiple specialists and they still have no idea what's going on with them or what their plan is. Uh, and she spoke about how uh, physical therapy gets to pride themselves on educating patients a lot about their illness, which is very interesting to me. You know, you'd think that you'd seen you know every every doctor under the sun that you'd know what's going on with you, but uh, that brings up issues with, with communication, of course. And uh, she she also talked about good front office staff, which you know as a as a hospital-based specialty, I don't really deal with that much, but uh, how how important it is to train the front office to... Because, I mean, think about how many times that you get blown off by a, by a doctor's office and your physician has no idea you even called. So just how... She talked about hiring the right people and training people. And so that was that was really interesting. We find well. out on Yelp reviews. Yeah, you will. Because those patients, even though they've never seen you before, they will they will give you that one star and write horrible things Never saw the doctor, but you know X Y Z horrible stuff. So so yeah, that sometimes trickles trickles back to us in a in a way <laughs> Absolutely. that hurts hurts us. Did she have anything to say about interactions with the physicians? Though, like I'm sure she works with a lot of neurologists and orthopedic surgeons and physiatrists uh, with like the patients that she gets. Is is it 
something that she would want them to reach out more often, less often, stop telling me what to do. Yeah, I, I think a big issue with her was actually just getting proper records. Um, she says the amount of times she just gets a script that says evaluate and treat without any background information. And then she has to you know, go back and track them down is is a big issue. Uh, she says, and the, the doctors that actually call her on the phone and tell her what's going on are, uh, you know, those are the people she, she forms strong relationships with and keeps, they keep referring patients back and forth because then she knows what's going on. I mean, again, physical therapy, people think, well, that's, you know, that they'll send them to physical therapy, that'll fix them. But uh, I mean, they're an integral part of the treatment team. And if anybody, if you've been to physical therapy before, I mean, that's, that's no joke. <laughs> but yeah, so she just wanted physicians to communicate more openly um, with with them. And uh, she also brought up the idea that everyone is their own specialist and they need to be working together to combine their powers, so to speak. That's an excellent point. I'm sure the, the doctors that reach out to discuss the patients with them are going to have better, their patients are going to have better outcomes than the ones who just send a script that says evaluate and treat. And then also it's going to help those doctors to build their practices so that all the doctors that send to physical therapists, it would make sense for you guys to build relationships with the physical therapists in the community. And that's not just like bringing them a lunch or uh, sending them a bottle of wine over Christmas. It's uh, I'm I'm sure there, if you're a doctor that sends a bottle of wine over Christmas and then sends a, a script that says evaluate and treat, you're not going to be getting referrals from the physical therapists. But if you're the one that's on that takes the time to know them by name and get on the phone with them, they're more likely to remember you and send you patients. So absolutely, that makes sense. Um, so the nurse I thought was interesting. And the reason was because you had a hard time finding a nurse. So the the whole concept behind your podcast is that physicians, as physicians, we need to improve our communication with the other health professionals. And nurses are probably the ones that we, at least inpatient, that we work with the most. And yet you had a hard time finding one who would go on record with you. Why do you think that was? It was crazy. You know, I thought when I started the show, you know, I I wanted a multidisciplinary approach to the show, no matter what we were talking about. And, you know, I had plenty of nurses that'll be like, yeah, we'll come on, we'll come on. And no one ever would. And I thought it would be so easy to get a nurse. You know how many hundreds of nurses I worked with thus far? And I couldn't get anybody. And finally, when I got uh, Lily Wernzak to come on the show, originally she wanted to be anonymous. And, you know, I said that was fine, but then she changed her mind at the end. And I asked her the question. I said, why was it so difficult to get a nurse on the show? And she had a few different answers. And and one of them, um, she thinks that uh, one of them is the increasing burnout and hopelessness that she's seeing in her nurse colleagues that her direct quote where that nurses start to feel like no matter what I do, I'm not seeing a change. Sometimes I feel like nursing school was one big lie. And Wow. That nurses just get beat down over time, and 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 they're not seeing any changes based on, based on what they want and what they're advocating for. I feel like med school was a litany of small lies. It wasn't one big lie. It was True. just a bunch of really small ones over and over. Effective brainwashing, though. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 why would they not? How would that lead them to not want to go on the record? I well, she feels that they just have lost hope, and and oh, it's not going to help. Like, why it's, would yeah, I waste exactly. my time if getting if, if doing this interview is not going to help? And then on the flip side, she said as well that 
a lot of people are just scared for their job. Nurses, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of the nurses I know all know each other. And if they go on the record saying something, they would be afraid that someone would blow them in uh, for having a sh- for saying something negative about their organization and they get fired. Wow. Which I honestly never anticipated. Yeah. But, hey. I don't think I have a big enough audience for that to matter. I don't know if we would ever get back to that. feel the same way. Like the six people that have downloaded this podcast are now going to, are going to report back to the nurses union. Right. Uh, so, okay. What about the, the nutritionist, David Orozco? I, I thought he had, because not everyone works with a nutritionist and yet, uh, like just the obesity epidemic, right? Means that it, nutrition is so important in so many different things that we treat. And, it, it, and it's an integral part of so many of our treatment plans. Like what were his recommendations for how to integrate them better into the team and improve physician communication with the nutritionists. Yeah, that was, that was a cool episode, you know, and, and, and David thought, honestly, the biggest challenge for him is a lack of awareness that he exists. You know, he's a, a, a solely outpatient nutritionist and works on, again, uh, longstanding chronic conditions and how food may help and change some of those. And uh, he's like, doctors don't send me patients. They don't even know I'm here despite marketing, despite everything else. And he also said that when they do, they don't know how to effectively collaborate. So he talked similar to Lindsay talking about how he he can't get records. uh, People aren't sending him information. Uh, evaluate and treat kind of deal. And uh, he also said it's very difficult to reach physicians. If, if he tries to call their office, he can't get them on the phone, which again, I, I think goes back to some front office issues. But uh, he, you know, he obviously he doesn't think food is the be all and end all of health, but uh, he, he serves an important function and um, thought that it was very interesting perspective he had. And so the, the next guest that I want to talk about is Dr. Karen Panzarella. So she's a physical therapist as well, but you didn't have her on your show to talk about physical therapy. You had her on your show because she's actually a PhD in, in communication, was it? So she's, she's an interesting character. So she runs a um, multidisciplinary uh, co- a professional collaboration simulation program at one of our local Buffalo colleges here. Um, and so what she does is there are, I believe, six or seven schools. They have a, a PA and NP program there. They have physical therapy, occupational therapy, nursing. I forget all of them. But anyway, she gets them all together once a week and runs simulations uh, into different patient encounters and how they can incorporate the team to better serve the patient, which was pretty much everything I was talking about. She stresses that it's an important, it's a safe space where students can make mistakes and talk to each other. And her, she stressed that communication skills aren't soft skills and that they need to be practiced like any other uh, skill you'd have in, in healthcare, which I thought was, was really an interesting point. And she felt that inter, you know, team-based collaboration and communication decreases burnout and increases workplace satisfaction. Did she have any recommendations for how we can implement that for people that are practicing? Well, she uh, she was saying maybe on a small scale, for example, in the if if you ever had some downtime in the emergency department, I don't know, maybe maybe nowadays a little more than like others, three to four a.m. or something. Yeah, you know, the, even last <laughs> night, three to four a.m. was a little busy, but uh, <laughs> you know, get get some teammates, even just doing small debriefings or running through uh, certain scenarios with maybe your nurses and techs uh, while you're at work could be helpful. Uh, she was really stressing how the 
these different communication skills need to just be drilled like anything else. In which case, yeah, I mean, you see it all the time. And like, a, if you have a code scenario and you have uh, perhaps an, a doctor who's not so willing to listen to other advice and maybe a nurse doesn't speak up when she had a really good idea. Um, it's similar to that. And I think medical schools and other professional schools are pushing are pushing the collaborative approach more now, but it was a very unique simulation program that I, I hadn't experienced before. Yeah, it's, it's hard to find a time to be able to do that. I, I was just thinking of, could we do that in the operating room? But, you know, once... You're waking the patient up, and then you bring them to the you bring them to the recovery room where you're you know handing off to the nurses. But like the anesthesiologist is trying to, you know, everything's being timed, and we got to we got to turn over quickly. We got to get out. There's another surgeon who's waiting for the room. We got to go start talking to the next patient. Like there's no, and then other team members are leaving at different times, right? Like the nurse has to go back and get the get the room ready, so they they peel off. The anesthesiologist is still with the patient. I no longer need to be the patient, so I got to do my paperwork for the next patient. So I'm trying to think of when would be, you know, same same issue, when the emergency room is not busy, it, which is never. Right? Yeah, like we have to we have to find a way to that like bake that into our day because it'll improve outcomes. But at the same time, it's just another thing we have to do. I know, and that's why she, you know, she tries to get them get them when they're in school, and uh, and even you know incorporating some of that into some residencies would be very interesting as well. Just getting getting some other team members together uh, to see how you could drill it, since simulation is becoming so big and in, in learning now. But yeah, it's you know it's a good thing she's doing. But I, yeah, I agree with you. It's difficult to find time in the day. So, what was your drive for making this podcast? Well, so I mean, the podcast has evolved over time. Uh, initially, one of my security officers in Chicago, while I was still working there, got me a gift as I was leaving, and I said, "Well, why did you do that?" And uh, he said, "Because you talk to me like I'm a person." And I was like, "Thrown!" I was like, "What do you, you know, what do you mean? You know, I just like talking to people." And then he said, "Well, you'd be surprised." So that got me thinking about how how we can involve the rest of the team into into our day to day and how they can help and. Maybe it's just my personality, and my my wife will give me a hard time because I talk. I'm the guy who talks to you on the plane, you know. Um, <laughs> oh, don't sit next to me. Yeah, I'm the guy no. that sleeps. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I just like talking to people and hearing their stories. But that was the initial impetus for the, for developing the podcast. That which, reminds you know, I, me that I, I've heard you tell that story before on your on your show, and it reminded me of Keenan Thompson on Saturday Night Live, where they do the game show. What's my name? Right. (laughs) And right. Like I am your brother's girlfriend and we've been dating for three years. What's my name? Right. Or like, I'm the security guard. I'm the doorman at your building. You've lived here for 10 years. What's my name? Right. All these people that you should know their names. And again, Dale Carnegie, learn everybody's name. So I thought, I thought that, you're you're telling that story always makes me think of uh, of that that game show and it's it's an excellent point right we should know everybody's name we should talk to them like like they're people and yet sometimes we're we're frequently to another another issue we're too busy to do it there's too much to do I know it's it's just the little things too and you know I, I even at my new job when I started I would just you know walk around like meeting people and and they'd be shocked like you know look around like who who's who's he actually talking to. And uh, you know, hey, how's it going? Oh, I don't, I don't know. How are you? You know, <laughs> like we're just people. But you're taking it in a new direction now, right? You're taking the podcast in a new direction. 
I am. What um, is that new direction, and why did you tr- decide to shift away from this communication issue? Well, you know, it, I think we've had some really amazing conversations about communication, and all the guests have been so great in sharing their stories. Again and again, we keep running into the same issues, though, of everyone has a voice, everyone has a specialty, hierarchy in medicine, and these are the pervasive issues as it relates to communication in medicine. And I think our objective was met in bringing some people's stories to light. And then uh, I started talking about more of the healthcare worker experience and in regards to a lot of different issues, the electronic medical record, some burnout issues, as well as, as just how it is to be a healthcare worker. And more and more, I found myself talking to uh, fellow early career physicians. And I just arbitrarily called that up to seven years out of training. I just felt like five was too short and 10 was too long. So I just made up a number. I think, I think the American, I think the AMA young physician section is either less than 40 or less than eight years out of training. So not sure if you so want to use close, the same definition. You know, yeah, I don't care yeah. about the age issue, but yeah, I think, and so we, we started talking about those issues more and more on the podcast. And my, my personal passion is, is issues as they relate to recent grads and residents um, and people early in their careers. So I felt that it was time to, to pivot the show to be about what I want to talk about more. And all the lessons I've learned certainly are relatable to the early career doc. And I'm going to continue to bring all different people from different specialties from within and without, uh, within without, from within and beyond healthcare uh, to talk about issues, but as they relate to uh, physicians early in their career, because I feel that uh, these conversations need to be had. Fantastic. Any big, one, one last takeaway for our audience? So either something from your previous guests or something from an upcoming guest or something, you know, some overarching theme? Yeah, I think what we've talked about a lot at this point is that everybody is an expert in their own field and everybody has has their specialty, not only within physicians, but uh, within the rest of the hospital. So uh, we shouldn't be working in silos. We should use all of our resources. And, and again, learn everybody's name. It really goes a long way. So where do we find you? Where do we find? Well, I'm all over social media. Uh, talk to me, doc. Uh, talk the number two, me, D-O-C, uh, as well as just my name is Andrew Tisser, D-O, on uh, Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, it's the general places you can find me. And if you want to bring everything together, andrewtisserdo.com has uh, links to the podcast and kind of everything else I'm doing. Fantastic. Thanks so much for being on the show. It was a great conversation. Absolutely, Brad. That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. He can be found at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a previous guest or have an idea for a future episode, send a comment on the webpage. Also, please be sure to leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next time on the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.